for Acts chapter 4 as we continue in our study through the book of Acts. And uh, if you'll recall, we have been looking at, of course, uh, John and Peter have gone up to uh, the temple to pray. There's a lame man there. They've touched him, and through the name of Christ, he is resurrected. He is not resurrected, but he, is, he stood up, received his strength, and ran into the temple. He's praising God and uh, singing the praises of the Lord. And the religious crowd didn't like it, not one little bit. And so we find the first persecution of the church. That's what we've been looking at. Last week I pointed out how that they brought Peter and John. They put them in the hole, the Bible said, kept them overnight. You'll recall they threatened them. Then they got together and talked about what they could do. And they went back in and threatened them again. And they told them, said, you're not to speak anymore in his name. Don't, don't, don't talk about Jesus. And we ended up on... Uh, Last Wednesday night, Peter and John said, well, is it better for us to listen to you or to listen to God? They said, all that we know to talk about is the things that we've seen and heard. And uh, that's where we left off on last week. I want us to look tonight, beginning our reading this evening in verse number 23. The Bible said, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The king of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And of a truth, against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, and gathered them together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determine before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name, by, by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they thus prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak the word of God. With boldness. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, that you'd help us from heaven, Lord, this evening. I pray, God, that everything, Lord, that we'd say and everything that we'd do would be in accordance to your will. Lord, would you help us to preach the word of God? Would you anoint us, Lord, with the oil of the Holy Spirit? God, as we attempt to ring the prayer bells of heaven, I pray, God, that you would just do that, Lord, in our midst as only you can. God will thank and praise you for all that's accomplished. For it's in Jesus' lovely name we make our prayer, and through his blood we pray. Amen and amen. I want us to look tonight for a little while on the response of the church to persecution. How did they respond? Now, this might be an important lesson because like I said last week, I believe that we're on the 
uh, verge on the edge of either the rapture of the church, and that's what we're all praying for, uh, or I believe that we're either on the edge of the rapture or on the edge of persecution. I believe we'll see it. If time lasts, I believe we'll see it in our lifetimes where the church is openly persecuted. Uh, it's already persecuted in other places in the world, but openly persecuted here in the United States of America. I believe that. And so if we can look at how the early church responded to persecution, it might well be a good instruction for us on how to handle it. I'll tell you what they didn't do. They didn't fix up signs that said down with the chief priest and go out and stand out in front of the temple and chant and come up with clever slogans. They didn't come up with a petition drive where they passed out uh, petitions across the community. Now, that seems to have been the modern church's way of handling problems. We get together, we're going to vote. We're going to hold signs. We're going to chant. But I'm going to make a statement right here, and I believe I'm right. I don't think you can beat the world by using the world's devices. You see, we're a heavenly group of people, and we have heavenly devices. And it's exactly that, that the church went back and began to pray. They called on God. Let me ask you something. Doesn't it seem like in our day that it's almost like it's the last resort? It's the last thing we do is to pray and call on God. When we've run out of all other options, when we've played all the politics, when we've spent all the money, when we've taken all of the, when we've done everything else we know to do, well, I guess we could pray about it. And then it seems like it's the last thing that happens. Now I'm going to tell you it ought to be the first thing the church runs to. We ought to run to the throne of grace before anything else and make our prayers and petitions known to God. It is the most valuable thing the church can possibly do, and yet we pass it by. Let's look at the response to persecution. First, I would point out tonight their pardon. I think this is important. The Bible said there in verse number 23, and being let go. They let them go. The first persecution of the church, Brother Allen, only lasted one night, and they turned them loose. Now, I think that's interesting because it's kind of instructive on how the world works. The chief priest and the elders had a problem. There had been this miracle worked. Everyone had saw it. Everybody knew that it was a miracle. They admitted it themselves. They said, there's nothing we can do about this. Everybody knows it's a miracle. And so they turned them loose because public opinion was against them. Now, I want, to, I want you to know this. The world will always do whatever public opinion is in favor of. I'm fixing to do some preaching right here. Over the years, the church in America has found favor because public opinion was with the church. And the politicians were afraid of the church. They'd go to running for office and all of a sudden every politician became religious and went to church. And all the politicians talked up a good talk to the church. But I'm going to tell you we live in a time where public opinion is no longer on our side. 
We call ourselves, and you've heard it said, the silent majority. I hate to break your bubble, but I don't think that exists anymore. I think we're a minority, and people that believe like us are a minority in America, and um, the media has figured it out, and they're no longer pandering to us. Politicians are no longer pandering to the church. Uh, uh, Politicians don't even try to pretend to be religious anymore. Uh, They hate God openly, and they're still getting elected to office. Uh, Public opinion has turned. Listen now, church. The only thing that kept this world in America from persecuting God's church was that public opinion was against it. But now that public opinion has changed, you wait and watch, tell what I said, what I'm saying is the truth. Uh, Now that public opinion has changed, uh, you'll see persecution increase and increase and increase and increase because they know nobody cares anymore. They can run down the church. They can run down the preacher. They can run down the Bible and nobody cares. We see they're turning them loose. We see their pardon. But then we see their people. Look at verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company. Is that the way your Bible reads? Now it did not say in being let go, they went and got a lawyer. (laughs) No. And being let go, they contacted their state representatives. No. What did they do? As soon as they got out of jail, they said, let's get back down to the church. They had a desire to be around their own company. Everywhere Paul went, when we studied the life of the apostle Paul, we saw it again and again. What did he do? He sought out believers. Now, I'm going to make a statement right here. I believe true believers in this day should have a desire to be with other believers and seek out our own. Paul and uh, we see here Peter and John have been persecuted. What do they want to be? Let's get to church. Uh, we need to be around God's people. We need to get a hold of God's people and let God's people get a hold of God. That's our crowd. That's who I want to be around. Uh, let me say something to you tonight. There's something wrong with a Christian that doesn't have a desire to be around other Christians. Uh, that's exactly who we need to be around in these days. When persecution comes, we need to come together. Uh, we need to work together. We need to be around their own crowd. They went and sought out their own company and that's exactly what we need. Let me tell you where people make mistakes. They get in a mess in their life and then they go to worldly examples and worldly friends. My mind is on a lady that used to come to church here right now and she's out of church and I tell you I watched I watched this like a train wreck. I watched it over months on end. And the train would almost come off the tracks and they'd get it back on it almost. And then when the train finally wrecked, what had happened was too many worldly people giving advice. Too many worldly, she sought advice from too many worldly people and it caused the train wreck. Let me tell you something, Christian. When you're facing a hardship in life, don't even take into account worldly advice. Seek out good Christian people and say and people you can trust and say, look, I've got this going on in my life. Can you give me a pet? What do you think? What do you think I ought to do? That's where our advice should come from. And when that, so when they got out of, when they got out of that persecution, they went unto their own people. 
They said, well, it's a crowd down there at the church. And they've been with God. And we're going to get them to get a hold of God because that's what we got to do right now. Boy, I don't know about you, but I need the church. I need the church, thank God, on Sunday morning. I need it Sunday night, Wednesday night. I need it during the week. I need, I need fellowship with good Christian believers. There's nothing like, somebody give me a witness, there's nothing like having good Christian believers, people that you can have confidence in, faith in, uh, and go to and, and talk with. Boy, I tell you, that's a sweet fellowship. And so there's the, they had this crowd they wanted to go to. They said, let's get down to the church. Now watch it. We see their pardon. We see their people. Let me say this to you. Birds of a feather almost always flock together. <laughs> That's exactly right. And what your friends are is what you'll be. Now, I've told this story a thousand times, but it's applicable here, and there might be people that have never heard it before, and so I'll tell it one more time. This, Trey, this might be the last time I ever tell this story, but maybe not. Monica may not have ever heard it. I don't know. In the sixth grade, Trey got plumb upside down. We thought we was going to have to put him in reform school. I called, I called a bunch of military schools. They wouldn't take him. I, we didn't know what we were going to do with him. One night, Rachel's sitting in, she's sitting in our living room, tears running down her face, dripping off her chin. We're going to visit him in prison one day, blah, blah, blah. So I called him in. I set him down. I said, son, why are you being a hellion? What's, what is wrong with you? And he said, Dad, it's my friends. I said, what are your friends' names? He said, Vinny and Blade. I said, right there's the problem. With Vin, if your friends' names are Vinny and Blade, I said, son, that ain't, a, that ain't friends. That's an Irish mob. You've joined, a, you've joined a gang, Vinny and Blade. I said, all right, right here's where we're going to start. I said, you're not to have anything else to do with Vinny and Blade. And I said, if I even hear that you've even spoke to Vinny and Blade, I'll beat you to where you decide not to have anything else to do with Vinny and Blade. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. Because birds of a feather flock together. Hey, what I want, hey, listen. What I want to turn my kids on is to good Christian family friends and folks that they can be around. And so these, these men, they had a desire to get around their people. And so we see their pardon, we see their people, but then really what I wanted to deal with tonight is their prayer. There's something we can learn about prayer from the way they prayed right here. You don't know how to pray? I'd say the apostles were a pretty good example. <laughs> Look how they prayed. First notice with me their sovereign in verse number 24. The Bible said, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. Look at their sovereign. Who did they pray to? They didn't pray to Buddha. They didn't pray to Allah. They prayed to the God of heaven. They called on God. Now, it might be important that you know him <laughs> if you want to get a hold of him. Last night when we were headed down the road, uh, Trey and I were on, on uh, the, the, the side by side and the ro- was a real bad spot there. And we got down in a hole and my, my, my foot hit the pedal and 
it reared up. The fire department side beside dad, not yours, but the fire department side beside. I wanted to clarify that. It reared up. And uh, I said, help us, Lord. I mean, I thought it was the end right there. You know what? I didn't have to say, boy, I, I better figure out which God I'm going to pray to. I better not get, get my God out of my pocket. I didn't have to say, Lord, I, let me confess some sins, get some things straightened out. I mean, just that fast, we was in a, we was in a mess, and I was able to say, help us, Lord. And I'm telling you, listen, it don't take no big fancy prayer when you know the God you're praying to, but it's pretty important to know the God you're praying to. You better know him. They said, Lord God, oh, our sovereign. They're talking to the Lord now. Look at the saints. The Bible said, with one accord. Later it would be said that they had all things common. You know what that word accord means? That word accord means with one mind, with one passion. I got to read this today and I thought it was a blessing. It comes from two Greek words. One word that means to rush along and the other word means in unison. So literally the word accord means to rush along in unison. That's the, that's the picture of the church. Rushing along in unison. It has been said that this word is kind of like harmony. I want you to think about something. If I get the choir up tonight, Brother Seth showed us how to separate out tenors and altos and basses. That doesn't, to be in a harmony doesn't mean we all sing the same part, but that we all sing our part where it fits. (laughs) Good night. That's what it means to be in accord at the church. It don't mean everybody looks the same and everybody talks the same and everybody sings the same part. It just means you sing your part in a place where it fits. Uh, that's being in accord. Uh, that's what the church needs. Uh, don't mean just a bunch of yes men, everybody just alike. Oh, God saves different people with different personalities. But what it needs is for me to sing my part and Billy sing his part and Trey sing his part. And if we'll all sing our parts, they'll mesh together and make harmony. That's being in accord. Say so they all got together and they all got to praying. They all got to crawling on God. They had one mind, one passion, one accord. Notice the scripture. Look what they did. This is interesting. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? I'm going to tell you what I've seen an independent Baptist preacher do one time. He's one of these hot shot guys that's got the answer for everything. He got up and he said, some of y'all praying and, and quoting scripture to God like he don't know the scripture. Quit doing that. That's dumb. Well, he just called the apostles dumb. Because you know what they just did? They just quoted to God, or just quoted to God Psalm chapter number two. And, they, and they're quoting the scripture. Now, what did I tell you about praying a few, I don't know, maybe a year ago? When we preached on praying according to the promises, praying is having faith in the promises of God and then claiming those promises for yourself. That's prayer. You remember what I told you about praying? I told you to find a verse. 
and pray according to the Scriptures. God has given us 66 books of the Bible. Pray according to the promises of this Bible and you'll always pray in God's will. It's the most eye-opening thing that I have ever learned about prayer. Now I want you to listen. In 20 or more years of preaching, the most eye-opening thing I've ever learned about prayer is praying according to the Scriptures. I never, nobody ever told me that. Let me ask you something. How many of you ever was instructed on how to pray? This coming semester in Bible college, we're going to have half a semester, eight weeks on prayer. You say, well, it's simple how to pray. You just pray. And that's the reason a lot of people have prayer lives that never go nowhere and God never answers. Get down on our knees and rattle a bunch of stuff off. God, I need you to do this. Lord, I want you to do that. One of the most informative things that I ever learned about prayer was that when you pray, pray according to the Scriptures. For instance, Lord, Sally needs to be saved. And I know in your word that you said that you're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so, God, I'm going to ask, Lord, that you save Sally according to your word. I'm going to ask, Lord, that you'd save Sally according to that verse. I'm going to claim that verse in prayer about Sally. Lord, she needs the conviction power of the Holy Ghost. And I know you said in your word that when the Holy Ghost is come, he'll convict the world of sin. And I'm going to pray and claim that promise that the Holy Ghost is going to convict Sally. And I'm asking God that you'd work on that promise in your word. That's praying according to the scriptures. Lord, I'm behind financially. And I know you said in your word that you were able to meet all my needs in Christ Jesus. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would meet this need. And I'm asking according to the Scriptures, Lord, that you'd meet that need in my life. That is praying according to the Scriptures. And I told you a year ago that that's how we should pray. Guess what? That's how the apostles prayed. When they started their prayer, they said, Lord, David said in the second psalm, why does the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You know what they're doing? They're quoting the scripture that has to do with Paul and John, or with Peter and John being taken into prison. They're quoting that, that psalm and they're praying according to that, that, that scripture. And if you'll learn to do that, remember I gave you those Bible promise books and all that. If you'll learn to do that, what you'll find is that you'll have a much more effective prayer life. Now watch this. If you're praying about something that you can't find a Bible scripture for, you probably haven't ought to be praying about it. I can't find Corvette in here. But I'll keep looking. Some of you women, I can't find a new husband. What is that? Something about a new husband. Some of y'all, I'm thinking about praying that verse about, Lord, have mercy on my son for he's a lunatic. That's in there somewhere. So you pray according to the scripture and you're always praying according to the will of God if you're praying on scriptural promises. And so that's what they did. Let me just give you another example. When, I, when I've been reading a book on Elijah, Elijah goes, goes to Ahab and he runs his bony finger up in Ahab's face and he says, it's not going to rain till I say so. 
And we find out from the scripture that he earnestly prayed that it might not rain. That's what Elijah did. He earnestly prayed that it might not rain. That's what the Bible said. Did you realize that the book of Deuteronomy, there's some verses in there that say when Israel turned into idolatry that God would withhold the the latter and the earlier rains? That was the punishment for turning to idolatry. And so the prayer that Elijah was praying was according to the scriptures back in Deuteronomy. He's claiming the scriptures. It's the most transformative thing you'll ever learn to do in your prayer life is to find verses and claim them. Whenever my kids have a big decision to make, they'll come and they'll say, what do you think I ought to do about this or that? And I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll weigh it out and we'll talk about it back and forth. Goods, the bads, the pros, the cons, the what ifs, all that. And once we've, once we've varied all of that out, here's what I say. I say, I want you to pray about it till you get peace. I want you to talk to two other Christians that you trust about it because in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. And I want you to bring me back a verse out of the Bible that you found that God spoke to your heart about concerning this situation. How many of you would believe tonight that God is able to speak to us through his word? You believe that? Well, why would we not consult it when there's decisions to be made about our lives? You see, too many of us run roughshod over our lives. Bless bless me, Lord, if you can. And what we need to be doing is considering what thus saith the Word of God. I'm I'm hurrying. I'm 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 just giving you some stuff right here that will change your life if you'll apply it. Are you listening? There's just some things right here that change your life if you'll apply them. You got a big decision to make? Pray till you get peace. Talk to two more Christians you trust. And then find a verse on it. And you'll make decisions in life that you're satisfied with 25, 30, 40 years down the road. Watch it. We see the scripture. Then we see the scoundrels. Look at verse number 27. I'm going to show you something right here. Y'all ain't going to believe it. You ready? Here we go. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Let me stop right there. Here's the first thing they said. They said, Lord, we got enemies. But here's what they said. They didn't say it that way, did they? They said, Lord, you've got enemies. You know what I tell you young preachers? Right here's a good piece of advice for young preachers. Don't take stuff personal. It's hard sometimes. People will hate you on the account of the Bible you carry. And it's hard not to take that personal. But really, they're not hating you. They're hating what you stand for. They're hating that Bible. They're hating Christ. So try not to take it personal and realize they hate you on the account of who and what it is that you stand for. That's why they hate you. But now notice something right here. This is mind-blowing to me. Now I'm going to ask you a question. All right, time out in a second. Let's pretend just a minute that we're back in the early church in the first century. Jesus has just been crucified. The same people that had him crucified are alive and running the temple. How would you feel about them? I know how I, you know, 
There must not have been a whole lot of rednecks in that early church. I know how I'd have felt about that. I'd have said, let's go out and lay hands on that crowd. We'll pray for them after a while. Let's go get a hold to that bunch. How would you have felt toward them? Here's what I would have assumed. I would have assumed that the early church doctrine, stay with me, I would have assumed that the early church doctrine would have been all about the nastiness of the high priest and how to stay away from all that mess and how terrible they were and that we'd have book upon book upon book of just lamb blasting everybody that had anything to do with the crucifixion of Christ. That's how we'd handle it, right? We said, bless the Lord, I'm telling you, I saw this. I'm going to put me a blog or I'm going to do whatever. You'd have thought it would have been a whole book after book after book of lamb blasting the high priest. But he's not mentioned anywhere past the book of Acts. There's nothing about him in there. Let me show you why. I want to show you the attitude of the early church toward these scoundrels. Look what he said. In verse number 28, he's been talking about the the bunch that crucified Jesus. Now look at verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. You know what they said? They said, God, all we know is Jesus got crucified and that was part of your plan. And them men was just carrying out what ultimately was the plan of God. And That's how we're going to get saved and that was your plan and we're all right with it. That was the attitude of the early church. They got to that point pretty quickly. It's really pretty miraculous that they did. They got to this point where they were able to say, God, this was your will. You worked it out. It worked out for our good. We're settled with it. We're satisfied with it. Everything's all right. And we are content. Boy, the church of 2021 could learn some things right here. We see their supplication in verse number 29. Watch it. What are they going to pray for? In verse 29 is where they ask for something. So far all they've done is bragged on God, but now they're fixing to ask for something. What are they asking for? Did they ask that God would kill that bunch? God kill the high priest. Would you give him a heart attack, Lord, please? No. Did they even ask to be freed from the persecution they were under? No. Look what they prayed for in verse 27. For of a truth, I'm sorry, verse number 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness They may speak thy word. Here's what they prayed. They said, preacher, they said, God, they've threatened our preachers. God, they've said they couldn't speak in your word. You'd have thought the next sentence would be, kill them all, Lord. Free us from this oppression. No. What they said is make Peter and John more bold than they've ever been. Help them to preach, Lord. Energize them with the Holy Spirit. Help them to stand strong. You know what we need to be praying in 2021? Lord, help the preachers take a bold stand. Help them speak with boldness. 
Help them be filled with the Holy Ghost and not back down. I'll tell you what I don't want to be. I don't want to be one of them pretty boy cared preachers. I'd rather, I'd, rather, I'd rather rub people wrong. People say, well, you're too abrasive sometimes. I'd rather rub people wrong way as to tip around through the, tiptoe around through the tulips and not hurt anybody's feelings and be a little sissy preacher. Because what we need is some men in these days to stand with boldness. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit emboldens men to stand. And when they prayed, they said, Lord, help our preacher to be bold. God, help Peter and John to speak in your name. Don't allow them to back up one bit, Lord. Put it in them, Lord, to go out and preach the word. Make them bold. Make them stand. Make them a champion, Lord. Make them bold. That was their prayer object. I'm going to be honest. I've read through the book of Acts several times. But as I was reading it again today, I was kind of startled by that. I I thought they would say something about, Lord, keep us safe. Keep them off our back. Help us. I mean, wouldn't you think that would be what the... But no, Lord, help the preachers be bold. Lord, they've been threatened and there's going to be this temptation just to not say anything, but don't allow that to happen. Lord, just allow them to be bold. Now watch, I'm right now done. Let's see their power in verse number 31. Look. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Watch their power. They go to praying. Boy, I'd love for God to do this one time for me. I, I, I would probably never ask for anything else again if I could just be praying and God shake a place. They're praying and God gets a hold of that place and it begins to shake. And all of the apostles get filled up with the Holy Ghost. And as soon as they have made this prayer for boldness, God answers it. And they begin to speak the word of God with boldness. I was talking to a preacher this afternoon and he was in a a meeting with some folks at his church and something was said that was very unscriptural. I'll not get into it. And the lady that had said it was pretty outspoken, kind of like a bully. That's the words he used. She's a bully. And he said, everybody, when she said what she said, everybody went. And he said, I thought, he said, nobody agreed with her, but everybody was afraid of her. And he said, I thought, I'm just going to have to say something. And so he laid it down the line. She gave it right to her face, told her what, it, what, the, what the Word of God said. And he said, I'm going to stand with the Bible. And if you don't stand with the Bible... I'm not wrong, you're wrong. Just laid it on her, told her. You know what that was? That was boldness. The other people that were in the room that heard the, heard the preacher make this statement, handle it in the right way, made this statement, that the people in the, in the room, they became boldened. He said, I could see them become boldened because I was boldened. He said, all of a sudden, this lady that had run everything for all these years and had walked in that room like a big old bully and sat down, 
When I stood up, everybody else was like, oh, well, he stood up. We can stand up. See, boldness emboldens others. You know what? We need some Christians that'll just be bold. Take and listen, it don't listen. Boldness in here in church, that's kind of cheap. Anybody can be bold when you're around people that believe like you. But what we need is boldness at our job and boldness at our school and boldness at the grocery store and boldness everywhere we go that we could speak forth the Word of God. That's what we ought to be praying. Lord, help everybody be bold. These little kids are going back to school. Kids these days, we've been through so much over the last two years. A lot of people have questions. You know, they tell me that right now at the high school, a big thing is the boys don't know if they're boys and the girls don't know if they're girls. Maybe not a big thing, but some are like that. They say, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. That's hogwash. We all know it. Hogwash. But you know what that is? You know what that is? It is, it is these boys and girls who have grown up in homes that never told them nothing about right and wrong. They have no, they, they have no moral compass. They got no, they got no mooring. They got no, no, nothing. But you know what? They're bold about it. That bunch will demand a bathroom. They'll demand to be, the boys will demand to play on the girls' ball team and the girls on the boys' ball team or whatever. They'll do, they're bold about it. You know what we need is some Christians that'll be bold. We need some Christians that'll stand up and say, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. You don't like that? That's okay. I'm a Christian. Let me tell you about my God. There's so many people out there these days in our school system, all that. If we just had a few bold Christian kids that just stand up and say, you know what? Okay. Y'all can be bold about everything that you believe and what all you say. Guess what? I can be bold about being a Christian. I love Jesus with all my heart. Just a little bit of boldness. I think we ought to pray for these kids as they walk into these schools. Lord, just make them bold. Let's help them to stand with a bold stand. I think we ought to pray for these young preachers. Lord, make them bold. These folks that are working public jobs, Lord, make them bold. Listen, it's, it's the only way that we're ever going to win our... I used to say things like it's the only way we're going to change our, our country and all that stuff. I really don't think we're going to change our country anymore. It's the only way we're going to win the lost is to go out and be bold. What we need is some boldness. I'm going to say this and I'll be done. Right's right, wrong's wrong. Let me tell you what Ellis Ray used to tell me. He'd say, that right there, stand when the world's on fire. Amen. Amen. So if you stand with that, you're standing in a real good place. Is that right there? Stand the world's on fire. Lord, make us bold. Make us bold. Have we got a God worth standing for? Amen. You got a Bible worth standing for? Amen. Lord, make me bold. Make, give me boldness to speak the word of God. Don't allow, me to, don't allow me to cower down. Make me bold. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, would you impart boldness unto us? 
God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would help us to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, the other side is bold. They're bold with their ungodly ways and their ungodly deeds. But Lord, if they can be bold, we ought to be bold. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help the people right here at the Concord Baptist Church to be bold. I pray, Lord, that you'd help our kids. Lord, as they go back into school this year, help them to take a bold stand. Lord, I pray, God, that everybody would know they're Christians. Lord, I pray, God, that they'd touch the world. Lord, see sinners saved. Would you help these young preachers, Lord? I look out, Lord, in the congregation today. There's preachers sitting there. I pray, God, that you'd fill them with the Holy Ghost and make them bold in a way that they never have been before. God, that their desire would be to get out and to share the Word of God. Lord, burn it on them, Lord, like they've never had. Time's running out. Lord, make us bold. I'm not praying tonight, tonight, Lord, that you'd change the government. I'm not praying for a new president. I'm not praying for a new governor. What we need is these Christians to be bold. And I pray, God, you'd make us bold. Help us, Lord, to stand for the Word of God. We'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. For it's in Jesus' name we make our prayer. Amen.